Nietzsche, famous author, says that faith stands in opposition to all intellectual well-being. But ancient wisdom says to us, do not find fault before you investigate. That's from Ecclesiastes. So that's what the series is all about. It's about investigating what evidence can we find for these questions that we simply cannot escape. The first thing, if we're going to talk about if, is faith rational or irrational, or maybe a bit of both, is to define faith, so that we're just all using the same terms. The definition that we find in scripture, and that's just one of many possible definitions, is that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, there's a lot in there that we need to unpack. But before we get there, I'd like to share a conversation with you that um, maybe happened between a couple of people and was assisted with a little bit of alcohol. Some time ago, during a slightly alcohol-assisted discussion on life, death, the origins of the universe, a friend turned to me and said, you're a man of faith. What do you think? And the, the author of this uh, vignette replies, he says, we are all men or women of faith. Some of us have faith that there is a God, and some of us have faith that there is no God. But neither position is provable. Precisely, he answered. That's why I'm an agnostic. Then the reply came, you don't escape either. You simply have faith that it's not important to decide. The reality is, is that with this definition of faith, all of us use faith to make all of our day-to-day -day decisions. And that's kind of what we're going to be discussing today. Albert Einstein once said, the mechanics of discovery are neither logical nor intellectual. It's a sudden illumination, almost a rapture. Later, to be sure, intelligence and analysis and experiments confirm or invalidate the intuition. But initially, there is a great leap of imagination. Legal decisions also require a step of faith. How, do, how does any legal proceeding work? Well, evidence is brought by the defense by the prosecution and presented to a judge and a jury. And evidence is brought time and time again until there is no more evidence to be had. Once all the evidence has been presented, the judge and jury adjourn. They put all that together and they, then they decide what makes the most sense for them to believe. They don't have to believe. They know for a fact if and only if one condition is true if the judge or the jury are an eyewitness of the crime. If they are an eyewitness of the crime, it invalidates them from being able to be the judge or the jury. They become a piece of evidence. The only time you don't need faith is if you yourself are an eyewitness of the event, and you can attest to it by your own biological senses. So every verdict involves a certain degree of faith. Evidence is presented, and evidence builds upon evidence, builds upon evidence, builds upon evidence. To try to connect a cause and an effect, or to try to connect an association between two things, or a correlation, some relationship. But it's never enough to bring you from beginning to end. There's always a gap at the end. 
And this explains why different amounts or degrees of faith satisfy different people. And that's kind of what this series is all about. It's about finding soul-satisfying evidence, arguments, intellectual discussion that will leave you feeling satisfied with the convictions that you hold dear, whatever they may be. And so faith and reason and rationale are not necessarily contradictory. In fact, they are complementary, because one brings rise to another. Look at the scientific model, where you come up with a theory. For whatever reasons, you come up with a theory. And then you design experimentation or other means, other accepted, validated means, to either validate or disprove that, that theory and with its ensuing hypotheses. So it starts off with an idea, with a thought, which is not proven, which is probably a product of evidence from before. So these things are all related one to another. But it's probably not very obvious or easy to say that they completely contradict each other. In fact, Jesus himself says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus himself is asking us to employ our mind in loving God. Jesus himself describes himself as the truth. So necessarily, if Jesus is interested in us knowing the truth, knowing him and entering into a relationship with him, he would certainly be interested in us having a rational relationship with him. St. Paul in his defense in Acts 26 says, I am not insane. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. And it's up to you to decide how much reason you can use to back up all of these different things that we'll be discussing in this series. So faith is rational, but faith also goes beyond the realm of, of reason, particularly in the context of relationship. My relationship with my wife is not limited to what I know about her or what she has proven to me or what evidence I have of her, of her character, um, of, of her uh, behavior, of her demeanors. Yes, I can predict a certain number of things. I can predict that if I make banoffee pie her favorite dessert, it's not going to last very long in our household. I don't eat dessert very much, so I can predict who's going to have eaten it. It's either our two-year-old or me or her, right? Yes, those are things that I know and those are things that I can predict and that's evidence. But there's so much more to my marriage than evidence about banoffee pie. So with with that, we can see that there is this other element called love that behaves very much like faith. Similar to love, faith cannot be by coercion. No one can be forced to believe or not to believe in anything. It simply doesn't work that way. The great French uh, mathematician Blaise Pascal came to, a, came to faith at about age 31. And he says... Willing God 
speaking about God, is willing to appear openly to those who seek him with all their heart, and to be hidden from those who flee from him with all their heart. God so regulates the knowledge of himself that he has given indications of himself which are visible to those who seek him and not to those who do not seek him. There is enough light for those who see, for those to see who only desire to see, and enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. And thus, faith is built on evidence. Not enough evidence to necessarily draw a bulletproof conclusion between two things, cause and effect, associations, correlations, and so on, but enough evidence to get you at least part of the way there. And faith in Jesus is also about relationship. It's not simply about believing in something, but about believing in someone. There's a big difference in believing that there is a woman who lives at the street address of my home and believing in my wife, Mary. Believing in someone entails knowing specific things about that person. That's evidence. That's a rational relationship. For the lack of a better term, anything that is outside of that, believing without reason, without any evidence at all, or being unable to rationally discuss your faith, your beliefs with someone else who is also rational and reasonable, could be called fanaticism. Pope John Paul II says, There is no doubt that the capacity to entrust oneself and one's life to another person and the decision to do so are among the most significant and expressive human acts. And they take a lot of faith. Some of the reasons why faith is credible and viable in the modern world is the evidence for God as a creator, the evidence for Jesus and that transformed human lives. I'm not going to discuss all of those things for the sake of time, but I'm going to skip right ahead to that last bit, the evidence of transformed lives. In the 18th century, there were two lawyers who um, really wanted to disprove and end Christianity once and for all, Lord Littleton and Gilbert West. They figured out that if they could disprove historical facts about Jesus, and if they could disprove the conversion of St. Paul, all the New Testament would crumble, and there wouldn't be very much left for any Christians to believe in. They wrote two books. Lord Littleton's book is Observations on the Conversion of the Apostleship of St. Paul, and Paul Littleton's... Uh, uh, and. Um, And Gilbert West's book is History and Evidences of the Resurrection of Christ. When examining the life of St. Paul, the circumstances of, and looking up historical facts, both of them could not simply do anything other than believe that these things were all true. And come to the conclusion that they should believe in Jesus. Francis Collins, the uh, former leading uh, primary investigator in the Human Genome Project, says this, 
It's a bit of a long quote, and we'll conclude with this. I was raised by free-thinking parents for whom religion was not very important. I became first an agnostic and then an atheist. One afternoon, a kindly grandmother with only a few weeks to live shared her own faith in Jesus quite openly with me and then asked me, Doctor, what do you believe? I fled the room, having the disturbing sense that the atheist ice under my feet was cracking, though I wasn't quite sure why. And then suddenly, the reason for my disquiet hit me. I was a scientist. I was supposed to make decisions based on evidence, and yet... I had never really considered the evidence for or against faith. As I explored the evidence more deeply, all around me I began to see signposts to something outside of nature that could only be called God. I realized that the scientific methods can really only answer, answer questions about how things work. It can't answer questions about why. And those are in fact the most important ones. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why does mathematics work so beautifully, beautifully and describe nature? Why is the universe so precisely tuned to make life possible? Why do we humans have a universal sense of right and wrong and an urge to do the right? Confronted with these revelations, I realized that my own assumption that faith was the opposite of reason was incorrect. I should have known better. Scripture defines faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence. Simultaneously, I realized that atheism was, in fact, the least rational of all choices. How could I have the arrogance to make such an assertion? After searching for two years or more, I ultimately found my own answer in the loving person of Jesus Christ. Here was a man unlike any other. He was humble and kind-hearted. He reached out to those considered lowest in society. He made astounding statements about loving your enemies. And he promised something that no ordinary, ordinary man should be able to promise to forgive sins. On top of all of that, assumed all my life, I had assumed all my life that Jesus was a myth. I was astounded to learn that the evidence for his historical existence was actually overwhelming. Eventually, I concluded that the evidence demanded a verdict, and in my 28th year, I could no longer deny my need for forgiveness and a new life, and I gave in and became a follower of Jesus. He is now the rock upon which I stand, the source for me of ultimate love, peace, joy, and hope. Now, we'll address one last quick thought before we conclude. Some people will say, yes, but... That sounds like wishful thinking. It sounds like making something out of nothing only because you really wish that it would exist. C.S. Lewis answers that and says that could be true of religion and faith in general, but it certainly could not be true of Jesus. For Jesus commands us to do all kinds of things that no normal person could wish to do, like loving your enemies, giving and expecting nothing in return. And so on. To finish with another quote from C.S. Lewis, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. God bless you. So it's about 8.15 now, and we'll launch into our discussions.
Um, there's a part of the discussion this week that's going to be about just getting to know the people at your table. We'll have a quick show of hands. How many in the p- people in the room right now, including myself, know absolutely every other person in this room? Nobody. So there is a certain element that's going to be of getting to know each other and a certain element of which we'll be delving deeper into the questions. Another thing I should have mentioned in the introduction is you may feel that these talks are superficial. They are. Because this question of is faith irrational has at least four huge areas that we could spend at least a few hours discussing. But that would kill all of us. So what we're doing is we're introducing themes, like the purpose of the talk is breadth. We're kind of introducing important themes in, um, in this discussion. And different things and different themes will be important to different people around your table. And you can go deep into those amongst each other. At the very end of the night, around 9 p.m., we'll make a, a short announcement about other resources you can do if you want to go even deeper. God bless you. Enjoy your discussions.